This is the Common Sense Podcast presented by Tamar. I'm your host, Tamar Weinberg, founder and CEO of Tamar, and I will be talking to people of all walks of life who have suffered adversity and overcome to rise above the ashes and now make self-care and wellness an absolute priority. Hi, everybody. This is Tamar, and today I am with Genevieve Clow, who is going to share her stories that she has. She touches upon the three elements of the Common Sense podcast. She's got a crazy career story. She's got self-care. And she also has her rising above the ashes story. So Genevieve, thank you so much for coming and for joining us. Thank you. I'm excited. Yeah. And please feel free to share a little bit more about you and where you were located in the world and what you're doing and all that other good stuff. Yeah. So there is a lot to my story where I am right now. So I, I was born and raised in Boulder, Colorado, and I currently live in Boulder again. And in my life right now, I work as an intuitive life coach. So I, I help people to understand their intuition, to heal their intuition, but also heal the emotional patterning that, that they might be actively kind of just doing over and over again. So it's it's almost turned into a mix of like kind of therapy, but with this, this intuitive intelligence that's brought into it. So I'm really excited about but I'm developing there. But that has that was not my life for like a really long time. I have this kind of a lot of different career trajectories that happened and then, you know, a crazy childhood. So so yeah, so we can start on <laughs> my story wherever you want to start. Yeah, I would have I would immediately jump into how did you get into life coaching? But I think that there's a probably a backstory to that. So why don't we yeah. talk about your childhood and your ashes story? your overcoming adversity story, and then maybe it'll bring you to this present day. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a huge part of, of how I got to where I am now. So I'm glad you asked about that. So yeah, so I was raised by, by two people who met actually through, I'm not sure if, if you or maybe the people listening are familiar with Osho, but there was a documentary that came out on Netflix a couple years ago, I think, called Wild Wild Country about Osho and his followers were called the Rajneesh. And both my parents, how they met is they were these kind of youngish hippie people kind of dabbling in, in the Osho culture. And, and for those who don't know, the Osho culture is at that time in the 70s and 80s was all about kind of like free love and sex and just sort of like personal freedom. And so a lot of kids who had been raised by kind of strict baby boomers or not even because they themselves were the boomers, but you know, their parents, they were really drawn to it. So anyway, they met in that community in Boulder and they were not super responsible. They ended up getting pregnant. My mom had an abortion. And then just a couple of months later, they got pregnant again with me, which is kind of crazy to think about that if it weren't for her initial abortion, like I wouldn't have even been conceived. And then I can only imagine the kind of like initial trauma that would be for a new baby to be implanted in a uterus that, you know, just had an abortion in there. So I'm sure my trauma goes back to like in utero. But so, but so yeah, they, they decided that instead of aborting the pregnancy with me, that they would put me up for adoption. And there was even a family in California that was going to adopt me. But I think just because of the feelings and emotions and the attachment that can come up when you're pregnant with a child, they decided to keep me and try to raise me on their own. 
And that was kind of, I mean, in my perspective, that was a little bit of a bit, bit of a mistake. But at the same time, a lot of the experiences and even the traumas that I've had, I've been able to transform and then help people now through that. So yeah, I was just raised by by two people who really didn't know their own place in the world. They really didn't know who they were. They struggled financially. We moved around a lot. We initially moved to San Francisco to try to join another Osho community. But then my mom, she was from Boulder as well, so she missed here and we moved back. And yeah, and so it was difficult to be raised in in a family like that. And I, I grew up feeling really insecure and really like, you know, I was depending on two people who, if they themselves didn't have any, you know, faith in themselves, they didn't have their own healing in place. It just, it was, it was difficult. And I ended up, I, I had a lot of weight issues. I ended up gaining weight when I was about eight years old. My mom also had had a lot of weight issues and that was probably projected onto me. So I was like this kind of overweight, awkward, like really insecure kid. I had a very small world. I felt like I was different from everyone, that I was like uniquely flawed. And I didn't understand that actually my experience was was actually semi-common and that like a, a lot of kids who are raised in kind of unsafe environments tend to feel that way. So so yeah, that's kind of where I, I started. Another thing I'll say is that I, I saw success beyond them. Like, so both my parents, they came from families that were quote unquote normal and like, you know, had fairly successful parents themselves. And both my parents were kind of like the black sheep of their own families. So I saw my extended family and I saw like, okay, well, this is how it should be. Like, this is like, they, they have it together. How come my parents don't? And from a young age, I, I got like kind of superficial ideas about what success meant because I was basing it on the way my my aunts and uncles were all very fit and successful. And um, and so I thought that's what it meant to be happy. And all I had to do was to just sort of fit that mold. And then, you know, I would I would fit in and I wouldn't feel like such an alien. So that's kind of the the long story of my childhood. So yeah, <laughs> there's that. So, okay, so how, I mean, I guess, can first of all, I don't know if this is an offensive term, but based on the way you describe it, it does not, I mean, I guess an outsider's perspective would be that it could be like a cult. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, if you watch the Wild Wild Country documentary, like it, it was culty for sure. Luckily though, so my mom, it was my dad that was really, really into it. And my mom was just sort of kind of dabbling in it just for like whatever things she could get out of it, I guess. So, so luckily I always felt uncomfortable in that community. It's a strange community for sure. Definitely culty. And I always in, in me felt like this is not right, which was also hard for a kid to be in that position of knowing like this doesn't feel right. And I, but I can't not be in it because you know my parents are doing it but luckily when we moved back to to boulder like by the age of five like i probably wasn't forced to be as involved like i definitely was dragged to a lot of meditations and stuff till and probably throughout until middle school but i was very the one thing i had going for me is that i've always been able to to vocalize my my dislike for for that for that community so it's interesting um, that you, it's, yeah. it's really interesting that you actually had a sense of this isn't right. Because when you're yeah. born into, you know, just in different cultures throughout, I'm not specifically, uh, 
isolating or, or identifying any particular person here, but or any type of culture yeah. anywhere. But you know, if you're born into hate, you go to hate. If you're born yeah. into a cult, you don't really know better. But because you had you had you know your parents, siblings, your aunts and uncles who clearly had had a different a different type of upbringing, you have been able to kind of see this is not there's something here something in my life i'm not sure what it is but looks like my uncles and aunts are doing okay so something yeah maybe what my parents are doing isn't normal so yeah exactly yeah yeah so how how what was your i guess your exit your escape i'm not even sure what the right term is here and like how you got out of that and just Mm -hmm. curious where are your parents today and and like are they involved in any type of that Mm -hmm. kind of lifestyle anymore that's a really good question. So, so a really important key I should mention is that I was lucky enough to have an amazing grandmother, uh, my mom's mom, and she was an amazing influence for me. And I ended up, as, as I got older, my parents, when I was 14, actually gave her, they gave her like parental rights and I lived with her full time for high school. And that was a big shift for me. I was still really insecure, didn't know what I was doing, but just having someone really love me and take care of me and really see me for who I was and let me live with her like that was a really big shift. So that was a huge thing for me. I, a thing I'll also say though is at that time when I kind of was leaving middle school about like 13 years old, that's when my mom actually became homeless and she remained homeless until just a few years ago. So my parents, they they did not stay together obviously because they they kind of realized after they started to raise a kid together, they were like, oh, we actually really don't even like each other. Like we were just kind of, you know, hoping to have some casual fun. And now all of a sudden we've got to like be responsible. So they, they separated, I think I was four when they officially separated. So yeah, so my dad, he remained with the Rajneesh people probably, yeah, until about middle school. But, but since then he is also, he's not involved anymore. He loved the documentary when it came out on, Netflix and I totally encourage people to go watch it because it's still on there and it's it's really fascinating to watch about the way those people lived but um but neither are involved but yeah my my exit was definitely having my grandmother really step in and become my new parent and unfortunately I have a younger brother who who that didn't really happen for so so yeah, so I feel like that might be a big part of why why in some ways as adults I have been more successful and he has still struggled. Is he a full brother? Yes, he is a full brother. So my parents, they had me first and then three years after they just kind of kept being physical, you know, because that just happens. He was born. So 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 we're full siblings and as adults he has struggled immensely because for whatever reason he didn't take to my extended family members as much as I did like he he was always just a little bit more sensitive like there was something in me when I was born that like had a natural like kind of fight back tenacity or something Um, I'm not totally sure how to describe it whereas he was always a lot more kind of compliant or just complacent I should say like he he didn't fight for for what he needed. And so it's interesting that now, so I'm 32 now, he's 29. He still struggles a lot. Like he's just, he doesn't, he's taking a similar path that my parents did of not being able to find his place in the world. So it is kind of fascinating. And to me, it shows, you know, it's kind of cool to see the nature versus nurture argument there where 
Um, you know, I had the nurturing I needed, like just enough of it, I think, to help me get just enough confidence to take some risks and to really go for what I needed. But at the same time, like I said, I had a personality that was different than his. So it's kind of fascinating to look at the difference between us. Yeah. So yeah. did your when you said your grandmother really took you in around the age of 14 and you went to high school, was that an option to him? Um, well, yeah, it's... I don't really think so because he, it was more that he didn't really want to, like there was something like I really, like I fought to like be with her and we had built this, this really good connection because I, I was so drawn to her and you know, she likes, we had this mutual relationship, whereas my brother, his name's Jeremy, he just, he didn't seem, he just didn't care. So kind of, I guess it wasn't an option in the sense that like, he just didn't want it as much. He seemed just complacent to keep living with my dad because because by that point my mom had also become homeless so um so we weren't that was an option to live with her but he seemed he seemed okay and uh and yeah and so it just it didn't happen for him right and that's that's basically kind of goes back to what i was saying earlier you're born into some sort of environment that seems normal to you that might be normal to you and you wouldn't necessarily want to deviate and break break free from those bars those invisible bars that are holding you yeah and like, yeah, if you're in a cult, you don't necessarily know that the rest of the world is normal. So it sounds like to yeah. him, you know, you, you had an interest, you were perceptible, you saw something different than, a, than most people would. I think what you've done is actually you, you're kind of like a trailblazer in your own right. Yeah, um, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you think about it, just really think about it. How many children born into, into these cultures really break free from their cultures? Like, yeah, they exactly. don't. And, and a lot of them are normal, so I'm not looking for, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for something that's a little more extremist. And I think I would like to think that you say that the, the, your dad is actually excited about the documentary, which is interesting because, you know, if I, if I think about like a documentary on something that I would consider cultish, <laughs> I don't know if it would yes. be for, put it in the most positive light, but if it's representative of the lifestyle and he, he identifies with it, maybe that's because he's yeah. still hidden by those invisible bars or whatever. Exactly. I mean, he did, he, he was in it for like 25 years. He loved it. Like for whatever reason, it did something for him. And he even talked about how actually the reason he loved that community so much is because he felt that they loved him in a way that he had never been loved before. I don't know if he would be able to say it quite as intelligently as that, but he talked about how he had never felt more accepted by a community before. And that's really how cults kind of get you, is if you're a vulnerable person who, who is insecure, who has not felt accepted before, you know, the cults will manipulate you to feel that. And for some reason, I was just not having it. So, so I'm yeah. glad that I, that I didn't buy into it. That's very interesting because you're very impressionable. But at the same time, you recognize that there was something that was a little bit off of that. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I kind of hear where your dad's coming from because, you know, in my particular instance of my own personal trauma, I also felt that there was something that was lacking and that there was some avoid mm. that was being filled. And yet I didn't realize that I wasn't really in that, that specific filling of that void wasn't a normal situation. But yeah. At the same time, that's, that's what I, I kind of went through. Something that was effectively emotional abuse without realizing that I was in like, you know, that vulnerability yeah. was clawing exactly. me. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, yeah. So uh, let's talk about your where you ended up uh, professionally. Talk about your trajectory of where you've been brought, because you clearly were in. Uh, you're in Boulder now. Yeah. You weren't in Boulder for a while. Tell me mm -hmm. a little bit about that. 
Yeah. So, um, so once I graduated high school, like something in me kind of clicked, which was awesome in that. So I talked about how I was an overweight kid. By the time I got into high school, I was really overweight. I had gained, um, I was over 200 pounds and I have a small frame. So I was, I was big and something clicked in me. And again, it was, it was motivated by this desire to be accepted and to be successful and to fit a certain image, which is not a healthy motivation, but at the same time, it did, it did get me somewhere in that I became obsessed with losing weight. And I did, I lost 90 pounds in my early twenties and it actually turned into like a semi eating disorder, which is why I say like, it was, it was one of those things I needed to lose weight, but I was kind of, I was doing sort of the quote unquote, the right thing for the wrong reasons. And it got, and it became kind of a warped thing in me. It became really skinny. And I went to, to see you, I got, um, so that's, that's the university of Colorado at Boulder and able to get some grants and stuff, which was great. And I graduated with a degree in international affairs and I really wanted to work for the UN or in international politics. That's what I was really interested in. So after I graduated, I got an internship with a local Colorado Senator named uh, Senator Mark Udall, who is no longer in office. He was a Democrat for, for Colorado. And so I was just interning for his, his state office in Denver. And I was really lucky in that they liked me enough that they, that there was an opening for a staff assistant position in DC at his official office in DC. And yeah, so I moved out there. I should also say though, before all this happened during my time in university, I, I deferred my graduation and kept taking time off to travel in Europe. And that was hugely important for me. I learned so much just through the experiences of, of being an au pair. That's, that, that's how I would be able to afford it. So I was first an au pair in, in Paris, France when I was 21. And I lived with a, with a family there and, uh, and worked with them. And that was actually probably the most eye-opening experience in terms of, of realizing like how small my world had been and, and also like how I had so many behaviors that were actually like really like not acceptable for like a normal family. So this, this Parisian family, like they had to kind of coach me on things. Like for example, there was one night where we had all had dinner together and afterward I would always just take my own plate and like cup to the kitchen and put it in the dishwasher. And I would never offer to, to like help clean up the rest of the table and stuff. And the mom finally pulled me aside and she was like, we noticed that you, you always like take care of your own stuff, but you never offer to like help, you know, us. And it was eye opening because I never thought like I had always been like, I, well, one, I never, we never had like family meals. Like that was not a thing. And I was, I was never a part of a community where it was like, yeah, we all help each other. Like it was just like, I took care of myself and I did my own thing. And I had never been taught, like I, I had legitimately never been taught like how to like contribute to like a family. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. but, but it sounds like this Parisian, the Parisian family you worked with, that they, they were pretty understanding and happy to teach you. And, you know, I assume it sounds like you probably had a, a good relationship with them. You know, you were receptive to that and she was particularly keen in, in making sure you understood that you learned like those things that, yeah, a lot of us take for granted. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, there were definitely tense moments because, um, 
you know, I, w- I was 21 at the time. It was also my first time really like leaving the country even. And, um, and I was being as insecure as I was, I was like defensive. So yeah, so it definitely, it was tense at, at times. But at the same time, like, especially the, the mom, like I really did appreciate, especially in hindsight, all the things that she that she did for me and i loved the kids i had a great relationship with the kids so so yeah and i, and I love just being in in europe and seeing that like wow a lot of the things that i take for granted is part of my like like a small little american culture that i had kind of built for myself like there's there's so much more to to the world and to people and to culture and so that was really important for me so that just felt like something that i should mention and also why i loved international politics but but yeah, so but it still it brought me to to graduate from CU Boulder and then get that internship. And like I was saying earlier, I was just lucky enough to be able to be promoted to a full time staff job in D.C. And I felt like I remember when I got that call that, that they wanted to hire me as like a real you know full time staffer, I was like, I was like on my knees crying. I thought like I have arrived, like this is all I've ever wanted. I can't believe how how lucky I've gotten that I'm actually going to be able to move to DC and do all these things. And I kind of fantasized about, you know, the life that I would have. And um, and when I got there, I did achieve that life. Like I had, you know, I, I went to, to glamorous events and I, I, I liked my job, I liked my coworkers. I, I made some great friends, but there was also this this deep nagging, almost like this this feeling of of anxiety and depression that was happening in me that I couldn't explain. There was actually it got so bad at one point, like I couldn't sleep because I was just feeling just so intensely anxious, and I had no idea like what was going on with me because I thought, you know, I have all the things that I want, like this is what I thought would make my life, you know so much better and I feel terrible like I don't even I, I felt like I didn't even know who I was I felt like I was kind of going through the motions of a person you know playing out a role but I wasn't inside I didn't know like who was Genevieve and um and so we we eventually we, we had an election and lost that election um so I lost my my job and I, I got a new job with um with a lobbying firm in DC and that was even worse because I realized, oh my gosh, like this is, I am so not into this. Like I do not care about lobbying for, it was for a technology trade association. So they were lobbying Congress on behalf of, um, on behalf of like big, big companies like Google and Amazon. And I just, again, it seemed like it would be very glamorous, but it just my, it just didn't resonate with who I really was. And it felt like empty empty work for me. So yeah, that was about five years ago. And I decided to pack everything up and leave that job and come back to Colorado and restart. And it was really, it was so painful and so scary because I had no idea what I was doing. And, and my family was even scared. Like I, like I mentioned, um, like my extended family, especially my, my grandfather, my mom's dad, he had been a very successful lawyer. And so when I went to DC, they were so proud. Like Genevieve's really, you know, she's, she really knows how to, you know, be successful and do what she needs to do. And then when I left that and just came home, I think they were worried, like, what is she doing? And I was worried too, because I didn't know what I was doing, but I just knew that that wasn't gonna work for me. So I came home and that's when I really threw myself into this like deep healing journey 
where I finally felt like I integrated all these different parts of me. And, um, and now I feel like, I feel like it's, it's good to be successful. Like that's not, that's not, it's not a problem to want to be a highly successful person. But for me, the problem was that I wanted that without knowing who I was first because real sustainable success doesn't, doesn't actually come from just doing the actions of success. It comes from that, that feeling that, that you're doing something that really sets you on fire and really, you know, resonates with who you are as your own unique being. And I wasn't doing that at all. I was just going through the motions. So, so now I feel like I'm in this totally different place where I'm definitely an, an entrepreneur. So it's scary to, you know, you kind of rely on yourself and you have to be your own self-starter in, 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 in many ways. But at the same time, like I'm doing exactly what I have always wanted to do. So yeah, so that's, so that's that journey. <laughs> yeah. You know, you talk about how you were anxious when you yeah. were working in your role. Do you mm-hmm. feel that that's because at least when you were in, you know, in the DC area, do you feel that because, you know, your parents, I, I can't imagine what their careers were like when you were a child, what that even, what, what, what career, what a job is like when you're working, you're basically in that, I don't know, what do I call it? I don't want to keep using the word cult. I, I do feel like that there's a potential like derogatory uh, yeah. you know, offshoot of that. But when you're when you're in like such a religious cultural type of environment where it's it's like I think of everybody's kind of just helping themselves and kind of building it's their in their little enclave or whatever it is, they're probably not you know they're focusing on the internal. I mean, of course, when you talk about the, your old pair thing, it was everybody for themselves. So I, I wonder if what I say even makes any sense. But you know, your parents probably didn't work in that professional capacity at all. So all of a sudden yeah. you're like, I'm, pa- I'm paving this new way, but the guidance was lacking. You didn't really have exactly. it. So yeah, how did, like, I guess that that was probably what it was, you know, looking back. Yeah, yeah. That's, 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 that's a really, really good insight, insight to have because I, I think that that, that was, was a big piece of it was I was highly anxious because, because I, yeah, I, I still, still felt, felt so insecure. There was a part of me that was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I didn't feel like I deserved it too. Like it, it felt, felt like, like I like I, I definitely was having some imposter syndrome symptoms, symptoms where it was like, like, like you know, I don't really like this isn't really me. I don't really fit in here. I'm just like, you know, trying to fit in and eventually they're going to somehow find out that I shouldn't be here because you're right. So my my parents and so my dad, he he still is a bus driver. He's worked as a bus driver for the city bus system since I was born. And my mom, she has been a house cleaner off and on. And that's partly why she's, she became homeless is she was, she just wasn't able to get enough um, jobs to, to support her. She also really struggled with her own mental health issues. And she really struggles with, with being around people. She's highly sensitive to the point of being paranoid. So she was constantly losing jobs because she would get in fights with the people that she worked with or worked for. And yeah, that was my example of, of working is, is seeing two people kind of struggling with these sort of, you know, chop wood, carry water type jobs. And they never became professionals. My dad, he did, he did, you know, he had his bus driving job and he still does. And it's very stable for him. And he actually claims to enjoy it. But it's not seen as like this professional go-getter type of 
job. So yeah, so I didn't have guidance at all. So that definitely, yeah, definitely fed into the anxiety that I felt. And I, and I totally think that now if I, if I was in the future doing some sort of consulting work or some sort of highly professional type job that you would see in DC or, or, or New York or something like that, I would, I would definitely be a lot more confident being put back into that professional environment. Whereas when I was initially put in there, I just, I hadn't done the personal work yet to, to really know where I fit and to be confident about my skill set. Because the people who hired me obviously saw something in me or else they wouldn't have hired me. But, um, but I didn't see it in myself. I thought it was like dumb luck that I got that job. And I just, yeah, I did not feel like I had my own support or any other support. So, so that's really good insight. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally feel that. I have a lot of imposter syndrome in general. I'm just like, how did I get this job? And sometimes yeah. because of that feeling and you take that with you, you never succeed because you're already putting yourself up on this. You know, you're, you, you never believe that you can. And you're just like, how did I get here? How did I get here? How did exactly. I get here? And that permeates your existence and that permeates your day and your work day. And all of a sudden it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So exactly. It's exactly. almost like you need to power pose and you need to believe that you're better than, than you, you clearly deserve it. And I'm actually at the point where like I negotiate with contractor, like with, with people when I'm trying to do specific contracts with a client or something like that. And I've been lowballed every single time I come up with them with this quote and I've been lowballed every mm. single time. Yeah. And I have to say it is super uncomfortable for me to defend my value and my worth. But yeah. every single time I do it, every single time, and no one ever hesitates. Because at the end of the day, I know that I'm offering that great value. but. If I didn't, and if I accepted them, first of all, I would, I, you know, it, it, it would hurt me a little more. Maybe it wouldn't. I don't really know. Yeah. But, you know, if you if you if you start off on on this element of like I don't believe that I can, maybe, and if they're clearly proving it to me, then you become then you're not performing. And I feel like every time I have defended my my worth, it's been more beneficial for me in the end, and it's been more beneficial for them. The relationship is better because I'm I'm clearly more confident and able to de- deliver. Exactly. Yeah, you really do become what you believe, and that's what I have found in my work to be so empowering. Is that a lot of us feel like like we're victims to the way that our lives turn out, and and it's like no, like it's like. If you, if you can, can learn, learn like where, where you need to stand up for your values and for your boundaries and your worth, that's when you transform feeling like a victim into empowerment. And so, yeah, and it can feel difficult because we want to be liked and we want people to to work with us. And we're worried, you know, well, if I'm, you know, if I value myself too much, then people will be turned off or something. And we have all these like crazy beliefs about what other people are thinking about us. But, but, but you're, you're so right that all the times that I too have like stood up for myself and said, this is what I offer, this is what I'm worth, um, this, is, this is what's gonna happen. People, people respect me more and it's like the value increases all around. So yeah, it's so true. Yeah, and you shouldn't feel like you're inconveniencing somebody because at the end of the day, you're really hurting yourself. And yeah, if, exactly. if you think about it, if you really think about it, when it comes to any type of uh, business negotiation, contract negotiation, especially in like employment negotiation, uh, sure, they're, they're invested in hiring you. But if you think about like HR in general, I, I can't imagine when you're thinking about the job, that is that is really your focus. And if you're kind yeah. of breaking, breaking the focus into like how the, the employer's investment and your investment, 
I, I feel that for me, it's like 90% me and 10% them. Like they're, 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 they have other things to focus on. But at the end of the day, yeah, for yeah. you, this is literally what you're focused on. You might as well be completely upfront and what, what you know, show that this is, this is what I'm offering. You know, take it or leave it. Because at the end of the day, you got to be true to yourself. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, that's and that's sometimes, sometimes a, tough a tough lesson to learn, to learn but, but it's, it's always it's scary. scary. It's scary to like face yourself and be like, oh my God, am I really worthy? And then, and then when you, you just say it out loud, it's like, like you, you become worthy just by the act of standing up for yourself. So, um, so it's, it's awesome. awesome. Yeah. And you know, the, the difficult thing is sometimes you'll be like, oh, well, maybe if I, if I don't do this, I'm going to lose the opportunity. I, I feel that things are meant to happen. If they, if they're going to happen, they're meant to happen. And if they don't happen, yeah. they're not meant to happen. And a lot of people are like, well, you know, I'm not sure if I want to settle for that, but I've been, especially when you, when you really are feeling in a way, a positive way emotionally, I think, I think your, your minds will be more amenable to that. I, there, there have been times where I'm just like, let me just take what it is, even if it's less than ideal and you just end up not being as happy. But if, yeah. you're, if you're in a position where this, you, you're able to stand, stand, like put your, you know, holds firm on, on what you believe, things change. And I think your mindset, your psyche changes too. It's really yes. weird. This is something that I'm really talking abstractly. It's very difficult for people to identify with unless they're like kind of in their that state emotionally. And yeah. it's something that I'm I'm actually only realizing recently, like in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, hard hard to describe. But yeah, no, actually, actually, I know, I know, I know exactly what, 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 what you're talking about because I, I also recently just, just yeah, yeah, in the last few weeks, weeks felt like I had my own leveling up around this very issue. issue. Um, um, yeah, yeah, and so, so it's, it's there's, there's and, it's, and you're right, it, it is kind of hard to describe because um, it comes with like a deep knowingness inside of yourself that sometimes there isn't like human language for. And that's how a lot of our biggest transformations happen where it's not an intellectual thing that you convinced yourself of. It's like there's like a deeper transformation that happens somewhere just inside of you. And it's hard to describe because it's almost like it's like almost between you and God that like this thing is happening inside of you and that you're growing. And sometimes it's hard to describe. So I totally get that. I, I'm right there with you. Yeah, it's funny because last week I did a podcast with uh, Beverly Faye, which uh, or Jen May, but two weeks ago I did one with Beverly Faye. And we were just talking and like I, I mentioned a couple of books that I'm reading. Well, now I have another book that I could potentially refer to. I'm, re you know, I'm reading, it's, it's, it was written in 1991, which is actually really funny because everything in there he refers to as like a timely stuff. Oh, this just happened with Gorbachev. I'm like, wow, this is so old. Anyway, it's a Tony, <laughs> it's a Tony Robbins book, Awaken the Giant Within. And he says that, you know, sometimes you can't articulate things because you really need a metaphor for it. So I need to mm -hmm. figure out this metaphor for this particular thing that we're talking about right now. But anyway, That's a good, yeah, I, like I like that. that. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah That's a good need, point. We need to find a metaphor that describes this because it's like, I just, I, I don't know what it is, but if somebody, somebody wants to, any listener comes in and wants to give me a metaphor, by all means, you can tweet at me <laughs> tomorrow. It's yes. more essences on Twitter and I'll add it to the, add it, update the post with, with the details. But anyhow, moving on, um, <laughs> uh, just, to, just get a like, I know, you know, I talked to you, I met you in a, in a running group, a lot of uh, yes. initial people who kind of come to, um, you know, have been mem uh, guests of the common sense podcast have come from an era where running has been your form of self-care. So I would mm. love to hear from you. You know, you do coaching, which I mean, clearly is, it's like therapeutic in some way. I'm sure it helps you. It also helps other people. So that's like professionally what you're doing for self-care. And I would love to, maybe if you want to expound upon that, by all means, 
but yeah, I want to I want to hear a little more about like your self care regimen in general and and how running comes to play and what else uh, you've been doing to kind of nurture your psyche. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm really really glad that you brought, brought that, that up, up because, because yeah, yeah I've, I've recently, recently like in the, in the past, past year, year really learned how to love to run because like I, I have talked about, about I I have, have been, been through a lot of different weird beliefs about my body and I lost a ton of weight um, years ago. And, and so I, I had developed a lot of weird just beliefs around exercise and diet. And I also, even during my big weight loss, I never liked to run. Like I always related running to being the fat kid in class, like the last one. Like I wasn't even able to do like a full lap. Like I remember like gym class, all the, all other, the kids, other kids, because also, also being from Boulder, Colorado, Colorado it's like a very fit place. So I'm like the one fat kid and all the other kids are doing great. But being the one kid who like, I would get out of breath so quickly and I would have to walk. And so even when I quote unquote got fit, I still didn't like to run because I so equated running to those memories of not being good enough. And so I don't even know what happened like a year ago, but all of a sudden I was like, you know, I really want to start to run because I, I had honestly not done exercise for a while like I kind of went the other direction where I was like you know I'm not going to work out anymore I'm not going to I'm not going to work out to punish my body because that's how I used to work out where it was like we're going to work out just because our body you know needs to be in shape but all of a sudden I was like you know I think I want to run so I I started a really easy program where it was like intervals where I would like run for a minute like walk two minutes and like run for a minute and slowly built that up and, and I realized, I realized that, that running, running was like so therapeutic and I got to the point where I did a half marathon training. I didn't even do a half marathon. I just did the training because I liked it so much. And I was like, I just loved it. Like I felt so free. Like I had no idea the kind of mind space that running could put me into. And it also saw me, it showed me that my body was like so much more skillful and so naturally adaptable in ways that I never gave it credit for. So I just, I just love to like experience my body in a different way where I was working out, but not in a way that was punishing me, just kind of, it felt like it was just freeing me. So, um, so that has definitely been a huge part of my self-care this winter, because I'm in Colorado, I've been just doing treadmill stuff, which which I don't really like. So it hasn't been it hasn't been my favorite this winter because I usually like to run outside, and I do still occasionally. But I've been doing a lot of treadmill stuff. But yeah, that's a big part of my self care. But also, I would say a really big part of my personal self care is is taking space to just feel my emotions because I realize that. I'm, I'm like, I'm like so, so many people and that I, I am naturally drawn to distraction when a feeling comes up. And so lately, especially, I've been taking really special practice that if I can feel something stirring inside of me or if I notice that I'm like in this place where I'm like just highly distracted and I'm kind of on all my devices and I'm not really being present with myself. Um, I've been trying to be really mindful about separating myself from distraction and really getting just feeling into my body, noticing where feelings happen in my body, like like where I'm carrying tension and, and allowing myself to feel whatever comes up and not be in judgment around it. Because before, like when I was, you know, feeling very highly anxious and depressed, I was doing whatever I could just to not feel that, like whether it be distracting myself or drinking too much or eating 
Like I would just do whatever to try to avoid the feelings because they felt so intense and so unmanageable. I thought I would just be like swallowed up by it. But I found that the more that I consciously like just sit and almost get into like a meditative state around feelings that come up, that they're not as scary as, as I made them out to be like sometimes, yeah, it's uncomfortable to feel a little anxious or to feel anger or, you know, all those things that we label as bad and we don't want to feel. But when I just like sit with them and just allow them to move through my body, they're usually more gentle and also not as long lasting as, as they used to be because I wasn't feeling them. So yeah, so that's kind of a big thing I'm doing is not just running, but then also like getting really quiet and unplugging and just feeling into like what am I really feeling right now and just honoring that in like a really deep almost like a remothering way is how I've been looking at it so yeah it's been big so just just out of curiosity how would you potentially tell somebody to do the same thing how could you educate somebody to potentially receive that emotional I don't know touch point those emotional touch points yeah Because, yeah, I I do incorporate that kind of work into the coaching I do with people. Um, So when I, like if I'm working with someone professionally, how we always start our call is I lead them through like a 10 or 15 minute grounding meditation. And it's a visualized meditation. So, and I have them go into their intuition and visualize or, or see like certain things that are going to support them. And, and I really focus on having them notice parts of their body. So if you've been really in your head and you are, you know, feeling all that tension in your shoulders and neck because you've just been living in your head and you've been ruminating a lot, it's really helpful to, to bring attention to your lower part of your body, as interesting as that might sound. So how I'll start sometimes these grounding meditations is I'll just have whoever I'm working with notice the way their feet sit on the floor so i'll ask them like notice how your your left foot sits a little bit differently against the floor than your right foot and encouraging them to be in a very what i call a feminine receptive space because all of us have feminine energy and masculine it's not a gender thing but to be in your feminine receptives means that you're just in awareness you're just receptive to whatever is going to show up and there isn't any judgment or efforting It's just just sort sort of noticing. noticing. So just just making making a small small shift shift to to coming out of your head and coming out of your analyzer, which is a very masculine masculine place to be, and just just coming coming into your body body and just noticing small things like how your body body falls against your chair or, you know, the way that your your left hip sits maybe a little heavily, more heavily than your right hip. It just, it can just give you a little bit of a snap out of the space that you're in. And when you continually do that, if you catch yourself and like, you know, you're trying to distract, you're ruminating, you're sort of just in your head spinning. If you can, the more you can catch yourself and break that pattern and come into your body, the the easier it is to to stay out of that place and to repattern yourself. But that's also just a very small, small part of it. And if you work with me, then, then you, we can go deeper into it. But, but the first part is it's, it's important just to come into your, into your body. It's really hard. I've been trying yeah. to meditate for since the beginning of January. January 1st was the day I started because my friend Chris decided to post in a Facebook group that he, we're going to start up a meditation for 30 days. Well, he's, he, oh, nice. stopped, he stopped on January 30th and I decided, you know what, let me keep going. But honestly, yeah. I don't think I've ever done it right, to be perfectly honest, but I've still been trying 
Um, ultimately, even though you're not supposed to have any judgments, I end up judging the like the action of like thinking, like the, you know, the 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 idea of meditation is to kind of not judge your thoughts because you have them, but then I judge the, like for example, you saying like your 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 left foot in is different than your right foot. I start to judge those things. It gets very <laughs> difficult. It's really circular. It's very recursive. It requires a lot. Of, it's as he says on on the Calm app, um, his name's Jeff. As Jeff talks about in in the Calm app, a Calm app that you it's like you're re- basically working your muscle. Your brain is a muscle. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I feel like going to the gym is easier because you feel like you, you feel the progress. I don't know what I feel at when I'm done with the meditation. Sometimes I just feel like, oh, well, I just did 10 minutes of, of meditation. I'm glad I've accomplished it, but I'm not really sure what I really, really achieved. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, well, might, it be might be helpful, helpful to lower your expectations, your expectations in the beginning. Cause I think, I think that's, that's actually, actually what trips us up more than anything, anything is we have we this have expectation, expectation that we're going to be like, you know, within, you know, just a few minutes, we're going to be a Zen master, like floating above our pillow. And the change, it doesn't come quickly. It comes, like you said, it's 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 from working that muscle over and over again and switching from, like you said, it's like switching from judging to just noticing. So that's what, so that's what I encourage is people just to notice your body. Like you're not judging it. You're just noticing. There's no, there's nothing right or wrong. There's no wrong answer. It's just, it's just a simple, quiet noticing and that's, and that's something that, that a lot of us aren't used to. We're used to figuring stuff out quickly. We live in like such a fast-paced world that we want the answers right now. We want satisfaction right now. Like we want everything to come in like an Amazon, you know, next day order. And um, and it's hard for us to slow down and to just be like, you know, like I'm just going to be really present with this moment. And if my mind wants to keep having all of these thoughts, like I'm just going to just notice that. But then also kind of gently encourage my attention to come back to the way I'm breathing, the way that I'm sitting. But yeah, it takes time. It's a muscle that you that you build over time. So I'm proud of you that you're like sticking with it. But, um, but it's also just taking off the expectation that like I'm going into this meditation with absolutely no expectation of how this is going to turn out for me. And then the you might see. I want to feel that I, my expectation is that I want to feel like I've actually meditated. Yeah. <laughs> it never happens. So then I know I end up judging my noticing, which is so weird. And it's, it doesn't make any sense. But at the same time, but it's you, know, okay. you sit there and you just start, like, I start thinking of how I'm breathing. Cause sometimes that's like, you know, your home base. A lot of these sites talk about it, you know, that your breath needs to be your home base. And sometimes that, that, focusing on my breathing makes me anxious or it's like Mm -hmm. it's very difficult for some people and you know it's funny when you talk about the amazon prime people i'm not an amazon i don't mind waiting three weeks for an out or even six weeks for an aliexpress package but i can't i can't sitting still is so difficult for our world our our, you know in this day and age but i'm going to be consistent because that's my goal these days is to embrace wellness in whatever way i can Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's, that's good. good. Yeah. You're yeah, on the right, on the right track. track. All it takes is one little step in the right, right direction, direction and you just keep, keep going, going and it, it, things, things happen. happen. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Well, um, let's, let's wrap up just to get your, your, you know, I, I guess you, you probably, because you've, you've listened to this, you probably know what the next, the last question is going to be. So if you could give your earlier, your younger self, because I think in your case, you're, you're maybe your childhood self, mm-hmm. uh, any, any advice, what would you tell her? 
my advice to my, particularly my childhood self, is that, oh man, there's so much I would say. Give me I guess three things. You can, you can narrow it down to three little things. I think the first thing would be to let her know that she's more loved than she thinks. And, and that also that the things that she believes about herself are not are not the way that her life will actually be like the things that she believes are not actually true that's probably the biggest thing i wish my younger self realized was that yeah i just made a lot of assumptions about who i was and my place in the world and my value that really lowballed myself obviously and and i would i would really want her to understand that that those things are not true and i'm not defined by my parents' experience or even the way that they treated me, that, that I'm a much bigger being and much more loved than I gave myself credit for. So, so that's, that's the gist. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you were brought here to do those things for a reason. Yeah. You start to realize that sometimes our traumas that we experience is really to kind of elevate us and to bring us to an area where we can help others. And I think exactly. where you are today, you're doing exactly that. Yes. 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 I, really yes. I really hope so. so. That, that is what, is what I aspire to do is help anyone else that, that, that has been through what I've been through and to prove to them that you can overcome. Like I've come a really long way when I look back, even on how I was at 20 to where I am now at 32, you know, a lot of big things have changed in ways that I, I wouldn't have ever expected. And so if it, if it can happen for me, it can absolutely happen for anyone. So that's what I hope to spread more of. Awesome. All right. Well, I really appreciate it, Genevieve. I really, really enjoyed speaking to you, learning about your very non-traditional upbringing. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, where you are today is, is, is right where you needed to be. So exactly. exactly. Yeah. 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 And yeah. the journey, journey continues. continues. So, so yeah. yeah. Thank, thank you for you having me. This has been really, really fun, fun to talk to you and share a little bit of my story. story. Yeah. And it's been awesome to hear it. So thank you again. Thank you all again for tuning in. This is your host, Tamar Weinberg of the Common Sense Podcast. Till next time.